Good morning, friends. Uh, I want to welcome you to Scottsdale Bible Church. We are get, being joined now by all of our friends over at the venue and Grace Chapel and uh, way out there in the great Arctic Circle, Cave Creek, Arizona, our, our Northridge family. We want to welcome you as well. Uh, you know, this is a, a real honor for me. I get to talk to you this Thanksgiving about Thanksgiving. And so we're going to have a, a great time in God's Word this morning. And, and you know, when I think about the topic of Thanksgiving, uh, I'm, I'm reminded that back in 2008, I read a, a really interesting book. It was called Thanks, and it was written by a guy by the name of Dr. Robert Edmonds. He is a psychologist over, over at the University of California at Davis. And uh, what he did is he went out and he studied, and he wanted to see, does gratitude have any impact upon each and every one of us? And here's what he found. He found out that the more you experience gratitude in your life, the more you express gratitude in your life, the more likely you are to be happy and the more likely you are to be healthy. And he came at it from a purely secular point of view. But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to see that gratitude doesn't just make you healthier and happier. We're going to open up God's word and we're going to see that it makes you holier as well. You become more like Christ, the more thankful, the more grateful you become. You know, when I think about the whole topic of, uh, of gratitude, I'm reminded of, of the story I heard about the grandmother who one Thanksgiving took her little six-year-old grandson for a walk over in San Diego, California. And they were walking along the beach. They were uh, having a nice time. And, and as they were walking along the, the, the beach, uh, they, were, they were picking up shells. They were laughing. But all of a sudden, something strange happened. A great big rogue wave came up out of nowhere, and it knocked the grandmother down. And when she picked herself up, found her glasses, put them back on, wiped the salt out of her eyes, she realized something terrible had happened. Is when the wave washed over her, what it did is it ended up sucking the little boy out to sea. And so she cried out for him, and there was no answer. She looked into the surf. There, she couldn't find him. And so she did what any caring grandmother would do. She dropped to her knees, and she prayed. And she said, Lord, I need this boy. I'm going to pray that you rescue him. I'm going to pray that you restore him. And just then something mysterious happened. A second rogue wave knocked her down. She got up again, put her glasses on, and a miracle took place. Standing right in front of her was her six-year-old little grandson. She looked at him. She kissed him. She hugged him. She checked him out from head to toe to make sure he was okay. And so she did the appropriate thing. She dropped to her knees and said this prayer. She said, Lord, it's so nice to have this little boy back in my life. But I don't want to complain, but when I brought him to the beach, he was wearing a hat. <laughs> well, guys, the reason I like that story is because it reminds me that even grateful grannies have trouble hanging on to Thanksgiving. We lose our grip on gratitude. And I was thinking about this phenomena, this tendency we all have to lose our grip on gratitude and wanted to figure out where did this start? And I looked at the Bible, and you can look at the Bible, and one of the first events recorded, at least chronologically in the Bible, is what's called the fall of Satan. And in Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 14 and Ezekiel 28, we see that recorded. And it says that Satan was originally the highest created angel. And he had a position of power. And he was more beautiful than all the other angels. But you know what? He wasn't grateful for that. He lost his grip on gratitude. And as a result of it, ended up pursuing greed. He wanted to be like God. And you can fast forward to Genesis chapter 3, the story of Adam and Eve. And what did God do? He created them and put them in paradise. Adam was married to the most beautiful woman in the world. Uh, Eve was married to the most handsome husband in the world. They were told they could be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They were told they had incredible freedom. They could eat of every tree in the garden except one. But you know what? They weren't grateful for that. They lost their grip on gratitude, and as a result of it, disaster took place. 
And the Bible, a little bit later in the book of Exodus, tells about God's people being liberated from 400 years of slavery. And just days into their journey into the promised land, what starts to happen is the people stop being grateful for the miracle after miracle God did in their deliverance, and they start griping about the fact they don't like the food that God's providing for them. And what happens? They end up wandering for a long season of time. And so one of the things we can see is if, if you struggle with losing your grip on gratitude, is you're not alone. It's been going on forever. And what we're going to do today, we're going to talk about that as we look at a great passage found in the third book of the New Testament. We're going to look at Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And as we do, we're going to find out how we can grab onto gratitude and how we can grow gratitude in each of our lives. So join me, if you would, in a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into God's word. Father, thank you so much for this day. Lord, as we've uh, listened to our, our choir and orchestra and as we've listened to our musicians and as we've had the opportunity to sing these praises, we're reminded that you truly are the God from whom all blessings flow. And so this wonderful season, notice Thanksgiving, Father, is a time in which we pause. Even the most skeptical people pause and realize that they too have been blessed greatly. And many of the gifts that we have, in fact, all of the gifts we have, are not because of what we have done, but because of what you have done. And so, Lord, we invite you now to come. We invite you, Lord, to speak to me and through me this morning as we open up your wonderful word, the Bible, and we learn how we can grab onto gratitude, how we can grow gratitude this Thanksgiving season and beyond. God, we ask you now to bless us, and we ask this now in, the, in your son Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Thank you. Well, friends, inside your worship folder... Uh, there's a little bulletin out, outline, and, and uh, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to pull that out. Last week, I, I went to the Saturday service last week, and Pastor Jamie uh, told us in the Saturday service last week, he says, listen, I don't want you to take notes. Uh, this week, guess what? I want you to take notes. Okay, you got to go back to work this week. And, uh, uh, but before we jump into what's written on your outline, I'd love you to flip over to the back side, because I want to talk to you about five different things uh, that you need to know before we talk about gratitude. In fact, it's kind of like before you celebrate Thanksgiving dinner, somebody has to say, at the table. And so I want to take about 10 minutes to set the table about five things you need to know about giving thanks, about thanksgiving, about gratitude. And then we're going to go ahead and look at our passage and take about 15 minutes to, to, to break things down and see how we can grow gratitude. So, but first of all, uh, I want you to write these five genera, general observations down about thanksgiving. Okay, here's the first thing that you need to know about gratitude. Number one is this, that when it comes to gratitude, it bugs us when we don't get it. I know you guys, you're like me. It bugs you when you do something nice and it's not acknowledged, it's not recognized, or worse yet, when someone treats you with rudeness. It was about four or five weeks ago that uh, I was up in Flagstaff. I hadn't been up in Flagstaff in about seven or eight years, but about four or five weeks ago, I, we went up. My wife, Mary, wanted to go and see the leaves turning. And so we went up there and my daughter was up with us and our son-in-law and our, our new eight-month-old grandson. And so we had a wonderful day of looking at the leaves change. And so at night, I decided, you know, this has been such a great day looking at God's beauty out there. I'm going to really spring for something wild. I am going to take us to an elegant, fine dining restaurant. And so I took the family to Chili's. Yeah, <laughs> fine dining, right? Well, we're, we're getting ready to walk through the front door of Chili's. And my daughter's, you know, holding my little grandson. And so she's getting out of the car. My son-in-law's got the diaper bag and my wife's come. And so I went up and I opened up the door for my, my daughter and my little grandson. And as I opened up the door, she gets right into the door. And some big old grouchy guy comes flying out of Chili's. He runs into my daughter who's holding my grandson. He kind of glares at me and he gets in his car and he drives off. I have to tell you, is, is, you know, uh, as a pastor, you need to know this about me, is I, I should have said, God bless you, have a nice day. But, but my first thought was to say three other words, which is, what a jerk. 
You know, that's what I wanted to say. Well, we get inside the restaurant, and we're sitting at our table, and I look across the table at my daughter, and I said, Hannah, can you believe that guy? And my daughter's response was, oh, I know. You mean the way that he bumped into me and didn't say excuse me? And I said, no, he didn't tell me thank you for opening up the door for him. <laughs> Guys, it's four weeks later, and I'm still obsessed about that guy who didn't say thank you. Why? Because... When it comes to gratitude, we think it's important that it be acknowledged. We get bugged when we don't get it. You know, an interesting study was done in Inc. Magazine in 2017 where they went out and they interviewed people who had left their jobs within the last year. And they wanted to know what was the reason or the reasons that you left your job. And a lot of them were fairly predictable, but the number one reason that was cited by more people than any other was that people said that 79% of the people said one major factor in leaving their job in the last year was they didn't feel appreciated. It's a universal. And so when it comes to this thing called gratitude, it bugs us when we don't get it. And I don't think it's too anthropomorphic to say, we're going to see this morning when we look at Luke chapter 17, that you know what? It bugs God when the people he has given so much to don't thank him for it. Second general observation just about gratitude is this, is gratitude is more difficult for some people than it is for others. It's as you sit in this large auditorium this morning and and you at Cactus and and, and you in the venue and you at Grace Chapel at Northridge, as you sit here, is the person sitting next to you maybe having a more difficult time giving thanks than you are or you may be having a more difficult time giving thanks than they do. When I think about that, I'm reminded of this cartoon up here. It's kind of hard to see from the back, but uh, it's a turkey goes to a turkey fortune teller and wants to know, what does my future hold this week? And the fortune teller says this, I see you surrounded by family. Well, not your family. (laughs) What that turkey is saying is this. He's saying, you know what is Thanksgiving is going to be more difficult for you than it's going to be for me. (laughs) And guys, the reality is that some of you are here today and this is the first Thanksgiving that you're going to celebrate without a loved one in your life. Or maybe you're in the middle of of going through a divorce. Or or, or maybe you're in a season of financial instability and and you think, man, I don't know about this Thanksgiving. Guys, God's word has something to say to you. It says, listen, Thanksgiving might be difficult, but it's important. Third generalization I want want to make about giving thanks is this, is giving thanks is rare and it's getting rarer. It's rare and getting rarer. Uh, Another study was done in the workplace where they went uh, and asked people who are not leaving their employment but are in their employment, and they said, have you felt an expression of gratitude in the workplace within the last year? 66% of the people said within the past 12 months, they didn't feel like they got thanked even one time in the workplace. It's rare and getting rarer. There's a fascinating study that was done just a year or two ago uh, out of the University of Sydney by a researcher by the name of Enfield, and, and he wanted to find out, are some cultures more likely to give thanks than other cultures? And he found out the answer was yes. He found out that in English-speaking cultures, when someone asks you to do a favor for them and you do it, is you get thanked on average of 14.5% of the time, and in other cultures like in Russia and Poland, you get thanked only about 3% of the time. But you know, when he, when he added them all together, he found out that all around the world, if you do something nice for someone, the chances of you getting thanked are only about 5.5%. What does it tell us? It says that gratitude is rare and getting rarer. And if you want to stand out like lights in a dark place, is you need to grow in gratitude. Fourth general observation is this, is that when it comes to gratitude, it is shown in different ways. Your gratitude, your thanksgiving is shown in different ways. You know, back in 2011, I read a great book. I've got a picture of the cover here. It's called The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. And it was written by a guy by the name of Gary Chapman along with another researcher by the name of Paul White. Gary Chapman is the the, the fellow who uh, earlier had written the, the, the New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages, that a lot of you know. 
And what he did is he said, you know, just as there are five love languages, there are five gratitude languages in the workplace. And some people need to express and experience gratitude through affirming words. Others, it's going to be through quality time. Others, it's through gifts or acts of service or meaningful touch. And so, so gratitude is shown in different ways. But the last thing, and what we're going to talk about today is this. Gratitude is grown in different ways. Gratitude is grown in different ways. I've never yet met a baby who came out of the womb thanking mom and dad for changing its diaper. Have you? Never met a baby yet who says, oh, thank you for that bottle. Thank you for rocking me to sleep. It doesn't happen that way. Is Gratitude is something that has to be developed. And even as we saw our great de- baby dedication and child dedication this morning, part of the job of a parent is to raise their children in such a way that they experience and express gratitude on a regular basis. And it's a process that we need to keep doing within our life. But the question is, how do we do it? And so I'd like you to read along with me, if you would, in, in uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 11, we see a great story about a messy man who was great at gratitude. And he's going to have an encounter with Jesus. And from these verses, we're going to learn four things that I want you to take with you to the Thanksgiving table this year, four ways that you can grow gratitude. Let me read this first of all. Luke 17, verse 11. It says, while he, that's Jesus, was on the way to Jerusalem. Jesus is now three years, three years into his three-and-a-half-year period of public ministry. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. He was passing between Samaria and Galilee, and he entered a village. Excuse me, as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face, at his feet, and he gave thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go, your faith has made you well. What I'd like us to do today is to unpack these six or seven verses, and out of it, we're going to extract four different things that you and I are called to do if we are going to grow in gratitude. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. By the way, if you're, you're a person like me who kind of likes acronyms that, that help you remember, spells the word arms. What are the arms by which we can extend gratitude to other people? Here's the first thing I want you to write down. To grow in gratitude, the first thing you must do is you must acknowledge the mess that you can't address. You must acknowledge the mess that you can't address. Now, one of the things that that I have discovered, I'm 65 years old, and I have discovered that there are two kind of messes that I experience, okay? Mess number one is this. Sometimes I experience a mess that I can fix. It was two weeks ago today that uh, my wife Mary was in Dallas and she was coming back uh, at night. And so I went to, to church. I was at the Northridge campus two weeks ago today, and someone came up to me and they said, how's Mary? And I said, she's great. She's coming home tonight. And then they said this, they said, hey, what are you doing this afternoon? And you know what I said? I said, I'm gonna go home and clean house. Yeah, I had to do a bunch of dirty dishes in the sink and and I had to do a load of laundry. Why? Because I had a mess, but it was a mess that I could address. It was a mess that I could fix. Well, friends, just as there are some messes that you can address, is we also know from experience that every once in a while you hit a mess that you can't fix. That's the second kind of mess. And when we come to our passage, verses 12 and 13, we're going to meet 10 guys who have a big problem. They have a big mess. And it isn't going to be a mess that they could fix because if they could, they would. But it's a mess they can't fix. So let's look at verses 12 and 13 here. 
It says this, as he entered a village, 10 leprous men, first word to circle is the word leprous, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance and circled the word distance. They met him and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy and circled the word mercy. Look at these three words. Because as we look at these, these three words, we find out that these guys don't just have a mess. It is a mess that they can't fix. It's a mess that they can't address. Well, what is the mess they have? Well, the mess they have is this thing called leprosy. Leprosy is a big mess. It's a big mess today. It was an even bigger mess back then. What, what made leprosy such a big deal, such a big problem? Well, leprosy was really four problems. In fact, the first problem that leprosy was, was it was a big time physical problem. In fact, leprosy uh, in, in biblical times probably represented a whole host of different skin diseases and skin disorders and, and, and things. But it, it also, uh, there is a specific disease called leprosy and it still exists. In fact, in America, in last year, 2000, excuse me, in 2018, uh, there were 150 diagnosed new cases of leprosy in America and worldwide, 208,000. So it still exists. But listen to what the Center for Disease Control says about leprosy. It says, leprosy, now known as Hansen's disease, is an infection caused by slow-growing bacteria called Mycobacterium leprae. Get this part. It can affect the nerves, skin, eyes, and lining of the nose. And then this part. If left untreated, the nerve damage can result in crippling of hands and feet, paralysis, and blindness. So what you have is is a physical problem that can only be treated with antibiotics. Only 2,000 years ago, guess what? There are no antibiotics. And so it goes untreated. It becomes progressive. It disfigures And it's a physical problem. But it's not just a physical problem. It's also a relationship problem. If you were diagnosed with leprosy and you know there's no treatment for it 2,000 years ago and it's progressive, is you know what the prescription was? The prescription is found over in Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45. Here's what you had to do. As for the leper, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered. You know, nowadays, a lot of the young people, you know, they buy these jeans with, with uh, t- you know, tears already in them and, and, you know, their hair's kind of a, a mess and thing, things like that. Well, now, if, if you walked around 2,000 years ago, they would think, ooh, watch out, leper, right? <laughs> well, guys, why were they commanded to put on torn clothes and to have their head disheveled? Why? Because they weren't trying to, con- they were not called to conceal their leprosy, their problem. They were called to reveal their leprosy, their problem. Why? Because it was thought to be highly contagious. And so your head shall be uncovered and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He is unclean. And get this last part. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. What could happen is you could break your leg and still be inside the camp. You could get pneumonia and still be inside the camp. But if you had leprosy, it was the one condition where you were called, the one physical disease that you were called to live a life of complete and total separation and isolation. What does that mean? It means it is murder for your relationship. So leprosy is a physical problem. Leprosy is a relationship problem. But there's a third problem. Leprosy was a spiritual problem. One of the things we know from the Old Testament is that frequently uh, when a person had leprosy, it was viewed as a sign and a symbol of sin and the consequence for sin. And one of the classic examples of that is found in the book of Numbers. Let's look at this passage, Numbers chapter uh, 12, verse 9. Let me set the context for you. Is Moses is leading the nation of Israel out of, uh, of in, in, through the wilderness and into the promised land. But what happens after they've been out there for a little while is Moses' brother, a man named Aaron, 
And his sister, a woman by the name of Miriam, they start to complain about Moses. And and, and their gripes really fall into two categories. Gripe number one is they don't like this new woman he married. Isn't that funny? I I mean, have you ever heard of that happening before? Yeah, they they don't like their sister-in-law. And the Bible gives us a hint as to why they didn't like her. It said that that Moses married a Cushite, and they didn't like his Cushite wife. Well, Cush was the ancient area of Africa. And so what was happening is Miriam and Aaron did like the fact, apparently, that Moses had married a woman whose skin was black. And they're complaining about it. And there's a second thing they're going to complain about. They're going to complain about the fact that Moses is getting all the credit, and they're not getting any of the credit. Well, what is God going to do? Well, let's look at his response. It says, so the anger of the Lord burned against them. They weren't grateful for what they had. They were grumbling about what they didn't have. So that angered the Lord. The anger of the Lord burned against them. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous. Now get this next one. Remember what her complaint is? Is, yeah, that Cushite woman, she's got black skin. Look what happens. Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. So what God's going to do is he's going to say, listen, you don't like black skin? Fine, I'm going to give you super white skin, and it's called leprosy. Look at what happens next. As Aaron turned towards Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, oh, my Lord, I beg you, do not uh, account this sin to us in which we have acted so foolishly. What it is is we see that leprosy was not just a physical problem, not just a relationship problem. It was a spiritual problem, and perhaps most scary of all, It was an incurable problem. It was an incurable problem. Remember, I showed you that word mercy earlier. When they cry out, they don't say, Lord, heal us. They say, Lord, show us mercy. The word mercy is an interesting word. Uh, In the New Testament, it's the word called eliason, and it's translated, depending on your version of the Bible, into one of three words, either mercy or pity or compassion. But what all three of those English words have in common, it means you're asking for something that you don't deserve. They're not going to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember that favor I did for you a long time ago? Because I did that, you need to do this. That's called quid pro quo. We've heard a lot of that in the news lately, haven't we, right? This isn't a a quid pro quo. When you ask for mercy, you're saying, listen, you have no obligation. I don't deserve this. But guess what? I have a problem that I can't fix. It's incurable by me. Friends, the reality is, is these guys had this big problem. And the reality is, is, Chances are good that none of us have ever had leprosy or even know anyone who's ever had leprosy. But I can guarantee every single person in this room, every single person watching has had a big time mess that they couldn't address. And for some of you here today is that big time mess may be a family mess or a financial mess or a physical mess. But one of the things the Bible tells us is every one of us has a spiritual mess, a faith mess, and it's called sin. In the book of Romans, uh, Paul writes this. He says, for all have sinned, every one of us, and fallen short of God's glory. One thing we all have in common, we all have this spiritual disease called sin. Pastor Jamie talked about that last week. And you know what? Most of us try to solve the mess called sin ourselves, but it's incurable. Only Jesus' death on the cross and placing our trust in that and his resurrection, that's the only remedy. And so when we start to be grateful is one of the places that we must start is a very humble, difficult place. It is that we must acknowledge that we have a mess that we can't address. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, it says this, Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, this, this cleaning up this mess is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. 
So friends, you wanna be more grateful, you wanna grow gratitude, you wanna maintain your, your grasp on gratitude, then it starts with acknowledging the bad news. And the bad news is, is this, you must acknowledge that you, I have a problem, I have a mess that I can't address. Well, the second thing I want you to write down. Number two is this, you wanna grow in gratitude, then you must run with a more grateful group. You must run with a more grateful group. You know, there's an old saying here. I've got it uh, up here. And, and I want you to complete this sentence. You're known by the company you what? Keep. Yeah, we've all heard that. You're known by the company you keep. And guys, this dates back to 600 years before the birth of Christ. It was uh, a phrase that was written by Aesop of Aesop's fables. And in one of his ancient fables, he tells a story called the donkey. Uh, uh, we're in church, and, and it, it really isn't the donkey. You put two and two together, okay? But, but the donkey and his purchaser, it's called. And it's a story about a farmer goes to buy a donkey and he says, listen, can I try it before I buy it? Can I take this donkey home and and test him out for a couple of days? And the guy says, yeah, sure, go ahead. And so the farmer takes the donkey home. uh, He puts it in the pen with all the other donkeys and he observes something. He notices that as soon as the donkey gets in the pen, it walks by almost all of the donkeys and goes over to the corner and stands right next to the one donkey the farmer already has that does the least amount of work and eats the most amount of food. And so what does the farmer do? The farmer goes over and gets this new donkey he just brought home. He takes it and he takes it back to the guy trying to sell it. And he says, I don't want him. And the guy who was trying to sell the donkey says, why don't you want him? You haven't had a chance to try him out yet. And he says, I don't need to try him out. What I've done is I saw the companion that he picked and that makes me know what kind of donkey he really is. And so the moral of Aesop's story was this, is a man is known by the company he keeps. Guys, the Bible doesn't say that that is always the case, but you know what the Bible does say? It says that we may or may not be known by the company we keep, but it says that we tend to become like the company we keep if we keep that company most of the time. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. It says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. When you're talking about your propensity for giving gratitude, we're talking about one of the important things that makes up your character. And if you hang around with ungrateful people, there's a very good chance that you are going to become an ungrateful person yourself. Conversely, if you're an ungrateful person, you're going to contaminate and infect uh, other people. Why? Because ingratitude is infectious, it's contagious. But here's the good news, so is gratitude. And if you choose to leave an ungrateful group and join a more grateful group, is what's going to happen is you're going to generate not only more joy in your life, but you're going to generate more gratitude in your life as well. And as we look at our passage, that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, These guys come to Jesus, they call out for his mercy, for his healing. But what we see is in verses 12 and 13, these 10 men, these 10 lepers are all running together in a group. And the reason they're in a group is they have something in common. They all have the same problem that they can't fix. They all have leprosy. But we're going to see why they all have a common condition. They all have a common curse. They don't have a common attitude towards gratitude. Because nine of them are going to keep going, but one of them, as he's going to the priest, and and as he gets healed, he's going to realize that that he's healed, and he is going to stop running with the old group of ungrateful people, and he's going to start running to and with a new group of people that are more grateful, namely Jesus. And so he he comes to Jesus. Look at verse 17, uh, and, and we're going to see this verse a few times, but in verse 17 it says this. It says, Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten clean cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? 
So we see that this man is making a major change in his life. Why? Because even though he's run with these people in the past and he's had sympathy with them and he's done life with them, is he realizes that they're ungrateful, but I want to be grateful, so I'm going to come to Jesus, one of the most grateful, probably the most grateful person who ever lived. The Bible records that Jesus, who was perfect, gave thanks to God the Father five different times in the Gospels. The Bible tells us that the Apostle Paul, who wrote at least 13 of the New Testament books, Nine of those 13 books, he gives thanks to God for the people that are receiving this letter. And so what God says is my plan for my man, my plan for my group is I want them to be known as being a group that is great when it comes to gratitude. And conversely, is people who aren't great when it comes to gratitude reflect people that are not on my team. Romans 1.21 says this, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Grateful groups can be harder to find in, in, in affluent cultures. Did you know that? We're sitting here, uh, I'm, I'm here today in, in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's an affluent culture that we live in. And you would think that the more you have, the more you have to thank God for. And that's true, but it doesn't mean that we thank God more. In fact, frequently, the more you have, the less you give thanks to God, frequently. You know, about uh, three weeks ago, uh, we uh, uh, had dinner with a, a, a neat couple. They're friends of ours uh, by the name of Arjun and Nirmala. And we met them uh, through, my wife Mary has had for many years uh, a ministry to some of the refugee community here in the Phoenix area. And, and uh, uh, Arjun and Nirmala are a wonderful couple. They're from Nepal. Uh, Arjun grew up in a pastor's family. His dad was a pastor. And Nepal only has 1.3% Christians. So he grew up in a Christian home. But his wife Nirmala grew up in a Hindu home. But at the age of about seven or eight, a helicopter flew over Nirmala's house one time on the way, I believe, to drop supplies off at Mount Everest. And someone in the helicopter threw gospel tracts out of it. She found one at the age of seven, eight. She didn't know how to read yet, but she kept it for years. And when she learned how to read, she read the tract and she placed her trust in Jesus Christ. How's that for a dramatic story, huh? Well, they, they moved here to the United States a while back, came to Phoenix. We became friends with them. Uh, and, and so we heard that Nirmala's parents, uh, who had never been in an airplane before, never been outside the country before, her parents were coming to the United States to visit with them. And so when they came, they spent a couple of weeks and they went to, to California and they got to see the ocean for the first time, the Pacific Ocean. And then they took them to the Grand Canyon, got to see that. And so when we heard they were here back in Phoenix, Mary and I wanted to take them out. And I said, you know, how do we top the Grand Canyon? How do we top the Pacific Ocean? And I, and I had the answer. We're going to take them for Chicago-style pizza. <laughs> and so that's what we did. I got a picture here of that. Is, uh, this is us at Lou Melnati's right up the street here uh, at uh, uh, Scottsdale Road and, and, and uh, Bell or so. And so we're, we're having dinner at, at uh, Lou Melnati's Pizza. And, and it's really interesting because they don't speak any English. I don't speak any Nepalese. And so we were communicating back and forth through my friend Arjun and, and Nirmala. And, and so about two-thirds of the way through the dinner, uh, Mary turns to, to Arjun and says, Arjun, ask Nirmala's dad, what does he think about our country? I, guys, have you ever been in that situation? As soon as Mary said that, I said, ooh, Mary, don't go there. <laughs> you know, I've seen on TV that there's some people somewhere in, in, out there in the world who don't think America's so great. And some people think we're materialistic and some people think that, that, that we're power hungry or we're, egotistic, or we're divided politically. And, and, and Mary, you should have asked that question, but it was a great question. And, and he responded. And then when Argent translated back to Mary, when she asked the question, what do you think about our country? He got this big smile on his face and he said this, 
He said, it is a wonderful, wonderful country. And then he added this. He says, in fact, I can't think of a single thing I could complain about. You know, I looked at, at, at this dear guy, this elderly gentleman, and I, and I said, Argent, would you tell him this? Tell him that unfortunately here in America, almost everybody has things they complain about in our country. What it means, it means, you know what we gotta do? We got a choice. And if we wanna become more grateful, one of the things we can do is that we can start to run and we can start to become a more grateful group. Here's the third thing I want you to write down. Number three is this. You wanna grow in gratitude. Well, if you're gonna grow in gratitude, you must make Thanksgiving a top-tier priority. You gotta make Thanksgiving a top-tier priority. You know, there's a difference between something you value and something that is a priority. Uh, when you value something, you mean, you, you say, you know, that has worth to me. That's a good thing. I, 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 I'm not against that. That's value. But when something has priority, you take all those things that you value and you say some are more valuable than others. In fact, in, in January this past year, uh, the Pew organization did a, a survey. They do this every year where they ask Americans, hey, what do you think should be our country's priorities? And they give them 18 different possibilities. And here's what came out just this past uh, year. 70% uh, of all Americans said, I think the economy should be a priority. Uh, healthcare costs, 69%. Education uh, was 68%. And then terrorism, Social Security, Medicare, 67% of the people cited that as should be a top priority. And then there was a bunch of things in the middle, and then these were the ones that were, were cited as a, not as high a priority. Global trade, 39%, climate change, transportation and military, and even race relations. Now, one of the interesting things about this poll is if you go back, Pew's been doing this for many years, over a decade, and what he has found is that people's priorities change from time to time. For instance, right after 9-11 is, is terrorism, uh, which, which came in in fourth place. That was number one with 87% in 2002. And so, so our priorities change from time to time. They also change between men and women. They found out that men answer these questions different than women. They change from generation to generation. Millennials answer these questions different than baby boomers did. And they differ from party to party. In fact, you could almost separate which party is one, which is the other, by what their priorities were. All of them were values, but some were more valuable than others. Well, guys, what that tells us is that when it comes to our priorities, our earthly priorities, they change. They're all over the place. But when it comes to our heavenly priorities, what does God say is important? But what does he say is most important? He says one of the most important things you and I need to do is we need to do this gratitude thing. It needs to become a top-tier priority. You know, uh, my friend Pastor Jamie, uh, uh, about a year ago we were having lunch, and, and it was before we did our, our, our merger, and, and Pastor Jamie was saying, you know, Mike, before I leave home in the morning, he says, Kim tells me a couple of things, reminds me of a couple of things, but he says sometimes what she does is the last thing before I walk out the door, remember this, Jamie? She says, be nice. Remember that? <laughs> You know what? That's a brilliant woman. Why? Because she says all these things are important, but some things are a little more important than others. And friends, God's word says, listen, I've got a whole host of things that are important, but this thing called gratitude, this needs to be a top-tier priority. How do we know it's a priority to God? Number one is he commands us to do it. This isn't something you can opt in and opt out of. Psalm 105 verse 1 says this. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. That's a commandment. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak to his wonders. It's a command. But you know what else in our story we're going to see today? is It's an expectation that Jesus has. It's one guy comes back to thank Jesus. 
But nine guys don't. And listen to what Jesus says about those nine guys. Luke 17, 17. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? So you're here today and you're saying, okay, well, how do I make this thing called gratitude a higher priority? Three quick things I'd love you to write down in this third point. Number one is this. You want gratitude to be a higher priority. Number one is do it regularly. Do it regularly. The things that you do repeatedly over and over again are really things that are high priority to you. You can say all you want, but when you do something regularly, that becomes your priority. For most Americans, Thanksgiving is something we do between the mashed potatoes and the pumpkin pie one time a year, right? Guess what? It'll never be a priority if that's what Thanksgiving becomes to you. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Paul writes this letter to this church in Thessalonica, tells them a ton of things that they need to do and remember, but then he concludes his message with this. But remember these three things. These are the priorities. Rejoice always, pray continually, And give thanks in all circumstances. And then he says this, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Friends, a lot of us ask this question, oh, what's God's will for my life? And the reality is, is God may have a unique special purpose for your life, but this is one of God's purposes for all of his people, is that you rejoice continually, you you rejoice always, you pray continually, and you give thanks in all circumstances. So one way you can make Thanksgiving a priority is to do it regularly. The second thing you can do is you can do it urgently. When you do something urgently, you mean, you know what, this can't wait. I've got to do this first thing. And in the passage we just looked at in verse 15, uh, we see this. that It says, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he turned back glorifying God. You see, the, the urgent thing for nine of ten lepers is, you know what, is the urgent thing is i got to get to the priest because until I get to the priest and become certified as being clean is I can't reenter my family and my old life. That was their priority. It was the number one urgent first thing they were going to do. But what makes this guy so great at gratitude is he says, you know what, the first thing I'm going to do is that's important that I go get certified to reenter my family. But the most important thing I can do is to thank the one that made it possible for me to reenter my family. And so for him, job one in urgency was to go thank Jesus, was gratitude. And the final thing is this, you can do it extravagantly. You can do it extravagantly. You want to make gratitude a priority, then be extravagant when it comes to giving thanks. Look at what it says here. It says that he came back glorifying God, and he did it not with a soft voice. He didn't whisper this to Jesus. He did it with a loud voice. In the Greek, you know what the word is for for loud voice? Megaphone. That sound like anything you heard of before? Yeah, he, he wanted everybody to know it. He was holding nothing back. That's what it means to be extravagant in your gratitude. You're not holding anything back. And secondly, he says, and he fell on his face at his feet. You don't care who sees it. You want Jesus to know that, Jesus, I am helpless down here, but you are hopeful up here. He laid it at Jesus' feet, and he gave thanks to him. And so what we need to do is this, that, that if you want to grow in gratitude, then you've got to make it a top-tier priority. But there's one final thing I want you to write down, and we're not going to spend a a ton of time on this this last one, but but number four, just real briefly, is this. You must show others what Jesus has done. If you're going to be great at grateful, it isn't just about you. You have to show other people what Jesus has done in your life as well. You know, grateful people, uh, you want want to go ahead and be thankful. Grateful people express their gratitude to God for who he is and what he's done. In fact, we call that praise. I, I, I was thinking of that when we were singing our songs this morning. It's what I loved about all of our, our music, all the songs we sung at Scottsdale Bible and all of our campuses, they all were about 
Singing out is praising God for who he is and what he's done. That's praise. But there's a second dimension to thankfulness, and it isn't the vertical dimension, it's the horizontal dimension, and that's that we must involve ourselves not just in praise, but in testifying. And when you testify, you tell other people about who God is and specifically what he's done for you. That's exactly what happens. Look at verse uh, 14. The story began with this. It says, when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. The first thing Jesus tells them to do is to go show themselves to the priest. Why? Well, number one is when you show yourself to the priest, that was what was prescribed by law in order to be certified because it would be possible to fake it, to put on long clothes and say, oh no, I'm healed. But once the priest certified you, then it was official that you could re-enter society. And so it was the law, it was the procedure. But the second reason Jesus wanted them to go show themselves to the priest was this is now three years into the three and a half year public ministry of Jesus and skepticism and resistance to Jesus, especially within the religious community, the religious community leaders is at an all time high. And so Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And when you do, what it will do is it will authenticate the healing, but it will also authenticate the healer. And one of the things the prophet Isaiah said, how will you know the Messiah when he comes? And Isaiah says this, he will be the one who gives sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. He makes the lame to walk and those who cannot speak to speak. And so what he's saying is this, is, hey, you need to go show others what I have done, what Jesus has done. And it's implied in verse 19 as well, the last verse in the passage, and it says this, and he said to them, stand up and go, your faith has made you well. Friends, the implication there is, listen, uh, you got a job to do. Your job is to give praise and thanksgiving to me for who I am and what I've done to, to Jesus. But secondly, it's to go and tell other people, to play this game called show and tell. A couple chapters earlier in Luke chapter 8, Jesus heals a man who experienced terrible uh, demonic oppression. And, And it says this, Luke 8 verse 38. It says, but the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him, but he sent him away saying, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Friends, your job this Thanksgiving and year round isn't just to praise God for who he is and what he's done. But your job is to tell other people who God is and what he's done for you and what he can do for them as well. And so this year, as you get ready to to eat a little pumpkin pie and, and don a little turkey and watch a little football, those are all good things. But God says, you know what I want you to remember? I want you to remember these four things as you head four days from now into Thanksgiving. I want you to remember that if you want to grow gratitude, first thing you got to do is it starts with humility. You have to acknowledge the mess that you can't address. It begins with, you know what? All of us are sinners and fall short of God's glory. And when you come to that very difficult thing, you know what starts to happen is you start to generate, plant the seeds of gratitude. Second thing we learned was this. We must run with a more grateful group. We must run with a more grateful group is stop hanging out with people who are ungrateful, start hanging out with people who are more grateful. Third thing we gotta do is this, we must make Thanksgiving a top tier priority. It can't be something we just do once a year, it's gotta be something that, that we do urgently, we do regularly, that we do extravagantly. And the final thing is this, we must show other people what Jesus has done. You know, as I, I wind down and, and as we prepare to close, I, I was thinking about this. I shared this last night that uh, this story of Luke 17 really is a perfect picture of what uh, Pastor Jamie's strategy here at Scottsdale Bible Church is. His strategy is this. It is get real, get God, and get out there. You ever heard that before? 
Well, look at what happens in this story is, is it began, gratitude began when he got real, when he says, I have a mess that I can't fix. I have a mess that I can't address. I've got this thing called leprosy, a symbol for sin. I have sin in my life. And so, so getting real is getting honest about who you are. But the story also doesn't just talk about getting real. It talks about getting God. And so this one man, this Samaritan sinner, this Samaritan leper, his life is going to radically change when he decides that he is going to come to Jesus with gratitude. And so that's what he does. He leaves his old group and he joins a more grateful group. And as he comes, what he's going to do, he's also going to make Thanksgiving a top tier priority in his life. He's going to get more and more of God. And the final thing Jesus is going to tell him is this, get out there. I want you to go and share your story, show others what Jesus has done. And so friends, one of the things I would encourage you to do sometime over the next four days, and if not before, before you lay your head in the pillow on Thursday night in a tryptophan-induced coma, <laughs> I want you to share with somebody. Be bold. Don't be, in, don't be obnoxious, but, but share with someone the simple story about what Jesus has done for you and why you're thankful for that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your many blessings. Father, the fact that you would even uh, allow a kid like me, grow up the son of a garbage man in Chicago, to come and talk to a great group of people here and, and, and uh, out in all of our campuses, to talk to them about Thanksgiving, it's very humbling. And Lord, one of the things I, I, I want to thank you for is that you have sent your son, Jesus. And Jesus promises that if we'll come to him, he'll no way cast us out. And Lord, Jesus is the one who provides the remedy for the problems and the messes we can't fix. And so Father, this Thanksgiving, I am personally thankful that you can address the mess that I can't. Father, I also thank you for a wonderful group of people. And Lord, it's my prayer that I would uh, become a more grateful person and that I could influence the people that I have influence upon with being grateful to you and pointing them in that direction. God, I pray that, that you'll help all of us to elevate the priority of gratitude in our life and not just do it occasionally, but to make it uh, just wind throughout every thought of our life that we would give thanks in all circumstances. And Father, grant us the opportunity and the boldness and the words and the wisdom to be able to share who you are and what you've done with the people that you bring into our life. And Father, for this and so much more, we thank you and give you praise. And all of God's people said, amen.